Welcome to this message from Eastwood Baptist Church, one church with two locations in Bowling Green and Alberton, Kentucky. To learn more, visit eastwoodbc.org. Now, may the Lord bless you in the hearing of His Holy Word. your copy of God's Word. Go with me to Psalm 47. Psalm 47. Man, I pray that it has been an amazing week of Thanksgiving for y'all. Have y'all had a good time over Thanksgiving? Huh? Yeah? Yeah? And that your body didn't just have a meal, but that your heart, that your mind, that your soul had a worship service, y'all. Listen, there are many things to be thankful for, all right? But worshiping God, I mean, the privilege of doing that, 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 that's really what Thanksgiving is all about. Not too long ago, Facebook, they ran some analytics on Thanksgiving posts of its users to find out what Americans are really thankful for. And they even broke it down by state. It was really interesting. Some of the results were like, what? Are you kidding me? Like, like California, Virginia, and Delaware, they apparently were most thankful for YouTube. I know some teenage boys that would agree to that, right? Praise God for YouTube. Vermont was most thankful for Pinterest. New Hampshire was most thankful for Netflix. Kansas was most thankful for Google. Wyoming, Pennsylvania, and Nevada, to my surprise, were most thankful for country music. And Oregon was most thankful for yoga. That's no surprise there, okay? But the rest of the results, they, they kind of made sense. Like states in the Southwest, they were most thankful for rain. In several states like Florida here in, 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 uh, in, in the south, we're thankful uh, for living near the beach. And several were thankful for thunderstorms. And all throughout the southeast, it was kind of interesting. They were most thankful for God's mercy and God's forgiveness and God's word and God's love and salvation. A lot of God in the south, right, in that Bible belt. Kentucky was most thankful for work and for family. But in looking at the data overall, it turns out that Americans are most thankful for three things, and I believe this will resonate with you this morning. Friends, family, and health, right? In that order. Friends, family, and health. As the headline of the article I read said it, it said, despite being stereotyped and chided as materialistic and vain, it turns out Americans really are thankful for life's most important things. I wonder this morning, what are you most thankful for. Some of you already turned your mind from Thanksgiving to Christmas, right? Some of you were already there before Thanksgiving happened, okay? But I ain't done with it yet, y'all. I ain't done with it yet. What are you most thankful for? I want you guys to tell me on the count of three, just shout it out. What are you most thankful for? And ready? One, two, three. All right, this side over here, we had a lot of thankfulness coming from this side. I didn't hear much from this side. All right, let's try it again on the count of three. One, two, three. Come on. <laughs> Maybe they're just more exuberant over on this side, right? But as I've searched my heart over the last week or so, there are so many things I'm thankful for. But one thing, this year, for whatever reason, I, I can't really put my finger on it, that has risen to the top of my heart is that God is still sovereign. God is still on his throne, church. He will not abdicate. He will not retire. God rules. God reigns and is in complete control. As our text will say here in just a moment, you'll see that God is king over all the earth and he will not be removed. He will not retire. He will not be overtaken. And this is great news 
that we all should be most thankful for. And perhaps no passage of scripture captures this thanks-inducing reality better than Psalm 47. So hopefully you found that in your word of God, your copy of God's word. Don't ever take the preacher's word for it, all right? You need to have your copy and be good Bereans to make sure what I'm saying is in the word of God. So I'm going to invite you to stand. Psalm 47 this morning. We're going to take the whole psalm this morning, the whole psalm. Psalm 47 says this. It says, clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy, for the Lord, the Most High, is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. He subdued peoples under us and nations under our feet. He chose our heritage for us, the pride of Jacob, whom he loves. God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our God. Sing praises praises for God is the king of all the earth sing praises with a psalm God reigns over the nations God sits on his holy throne the princes of the peoples gather as the people of the God of Abraham for the shields of the earth belong to God he is highly exalted let's pray together God in the name of Jesus thank you this morning for a chance to be reminded that you are indeed still on your throne. And I just believe, God, that there's somebody here this morning. There's a reason you put that one on my heart this year. That there's someone here that just needs to be reminded this morning that no matter what it is they're facing, the, the diagnosis or, or the news or the relationship breakup or, or whatever it is, the money failure, whatever it is that, that, that's just got us anxious this morning, God. Someone needs to hear, God, I need to hear that you are still on your throne. And God, I pray that you would solidify our hearts in that this morning. It's in Christ's name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Go ahead and grab your seat there. So here's today's takeaway as we see this text is to do two things. But they're together, right? They're two sides of the, of the same coin, right? Rejoice and give thanks to God because he's still sits sovereign on his throne. And praise God for that. He is still sovereign. Regardless of the stock market, right? God is still sovereign, sovereignly sitting on his throne. Re regardless of the, of the world leaders, how they're plotting and scheming and doing all the things that they're doing and the things you're reading about in the news and the things you don't even know about, God still sits sovereignly on his throne. Regardless of that diagnosis delivered by that doctor, God is still on his throne, regardless of man's good or ill intentions, God sits sovereignly on his throne. And our text points us to at least three ways that God is sovereign. First, I want to point this one to you. Our text says that God has no rival. God has no rival. If you're a college football fan at all, you know that this past week was what week? rivalry week that's right some of y'all happy about that some of y'all ain't too happy but rivalry week is the week set aside each year in the college football schedule when teams typically play their biggest rival 
and typically have some sort of trophy or, or something that they pass back and forth between the two teams. Like when I played football at Hanover College in Indiana, our rival was Franklin College just a few hours up the road from us. And every year we played for the victory bell. Whoever won between Franklin or Hanover got to take home the victory bell. And, and the good news, I'm happy to announce this morning that the victory bell went back to Hanover this year. I guess I should add, after a 14-year hiatus uh, at Franklin, but nevertheless, before that, it had been at Hanover, and we're glad that it is back. But yesterday was the big dogs, right? The big dogs, Kentucky at Louisville, Auburn at Alabama, Michigan at Ohio State, Florida at Florida State, Notre Dame at Southern California. I can't believe I just read through those, and I heard, I heard nobody cheer or say, ouch, at all. I guess it still hurts too bad for some of you this morning, right? It was a big rivalry weekend. You never really know who's going to win, right? Because they are rivals. They're usually pretty evenly matched. Both are usually powerhouses, pretty much equals, and either team could win any year. But while college football, y'all, is full of rivals, our God has no rivals. That's made clear in our text this morning, particularly verse 2. Psalm 47 verse 2 says, For the Lord the Most High is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. You see, his name alone right here, his name alone tells us that he has no rivals. He is the Lord Most High. That's Yahweh Elyon in the Hebrew. Yahweh Elyon. Elyon is a Hebrew adjective that means highest. God is above all others. He is uppermost. He's lofty. He's supreme. That there is none beside him, none equal to him, and none above him. He is most high. And that means that God has no rivals. Donald Trump. Kim Jong-un. Vladimir Putin. And other so-called princes of the earth are not God's rivals. In the angelic host, Michael the archangel, for instance, is not God's rival. On the other side, Satan, right? That fallen devil is not God's rival. God alone. God and God alone is most high. Therefore, as it says in Scripture, God does whatever God pleases. When you are uppermost, You get to do whatever you want to do. When you're the big dog, you do whatever you want to do. That's why it says in Psalm 115.3, it says, Our God is in the heavens. He does all he pleases. Psalm 135, verse 5 and 6 says, For I know that the Lord is great, and that our Lord is above all gods. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all the deeps. Guys, that means that there is nobody ultimately to oppose our God. He subdues. That's that's one of the words here in our text. There in verse 3. He subdues whoever rises up against him. He is the one who is to be feared, to be respected, to be revered. Our God, who is good and wise, is omnipotent and almighty. I mean, just imagine for a moment. Could you imagine For a moment, if we had a God, which we do, who is almighty, who is almighty, but was not good. Just imagine that for a moment. An almighty God who is all-powerful, but not good. That would be a nightmare. But imagine on the other side as well, right? A God who is almighty, all-power, omnipotent, 
but he's not wise. He doesn't know how to use that power in a wise way. That as well would be a terrible nightmare. But our God, in our God, we have this perfect might combined with this perfect goodness and combined with this perfect wisdom. This is the God church, our God, who still sits sovereign on the throne. But I say to you this morning, not only does God have no rivals, we also see here, number two, is that God controls every inch of creation. Every inch of creation. Notice verse two again. Psalm 47 verse 2 says, For the Lord the Most High is to be feared, a great king over how much of the earth, church? All of it, right? All of the earth. It doesn't say some. It doesn't even say most. It says all. It says that God is a great king over the whole earth, the entire earth. In fact, we extend that not just to planet earth, but out into the universe, right? That God is a great king over the entire universe. As Abraham Kuyper, that great 19th and 20th century theologian and Dutch statesman once wrote, and rightly so, he said this. He said, there's not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. Indeed, beloved, the whole of creation is his. And over the whole of creation, he exercises his sovereignty. You see, he is sovereign over that remote island in the Bay of Bengal as he is sovereign in Alverton, Kentucky. And praise God that he is. It was that famous great British preacher, the the Prince of Preachers, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, that once said it this way. He said, I believe that every particle of dust that dances in the sunbeam does not move an atom more or less than God wishes. That every particle of spray that dashes against the steamboat has its orbit as well as the sun in the heavens. That the chaff from the hand of the winter is steered as the stars in their courses. The creeping of an aphid steered as the stars in their courses over the rosebud. Let me me say that again. The creeping of an aphid over the rosebud is as much fixed as the march of the devastating pestilence. The fall of leaves from a poplar is as fully ordained as the tumbling of an avalanche. God is in control. And it does not mean that you and I are automatons, right? That we're puppets or that we're not freely doing and choosing what we do. But nevertheless, God is in control. Therefore, and this has big payoff, because God is in control, you can lay down your head at night in peace. Tomorrow morning, after this big long break, you can kiss your children goodbye and send them off to school in peace. Some of you are at a different stage in life right now, and you're about to send a grown child, a young man, young woman, back to college today, right? They're heading back from Thanksgiving break back to college to finish up the semester. You can do that in peace because God is in control. You can hug and kiss your wife or your husband goodbye in the morning and send them out to work in peace. You can hug your relatives next and tell them that you'll see them at Christmas in peace, our God is in control. He never slumbers. He never sleeps. Nothing happens in the universe that God does not actively bring about or allow to come to pass. And that means both what we call good and what we call bad, right? If you think about it for just a moment, you and I, we are actually poor judges of what we often call good or bad, aren't we? 
I mean, the ancient Chinese, they understood this and they captured it in a parable. And perhaps you've heard this parable before, but I think it's helpful this morning for us to think this through a little bit. There once was this farmer who had a horse. And one day this horse ran away and the neighbor came to sympathize with him. He said, I'm so sorry about your horse. But the farmer simply replied, I'm not sure if it's good or bad. I don't know. Whether it's good or bad, I don't know. Well, the neighbor was confused because it was a tragedy, right? Clearly, the horse was his most valuable possession. But the horse came back the next day. And what did he bring with him? Twelve feral horses. And so the neighbor came back. Good news. Let's celebrate. Congratulations for your great fortune. But again, the farmer replied, whether it's good or bad, I do not know. Well, the next day, the farmer's son was trying to tame one of those wild horses, and in doing so, one of them bucked him off, and, and the young man suffered a broken leg. Again, the neighbor comes. He gets the news. He tried to console the farmer. He said, I'm so sorry about your son, but the farmer responded, whether it's good or whether it's bad, I do not know. But sure enough, the next day, the army came through their village looking to conscript all able-bodied young men to go and fight in the war, but the son was spared because of his broken leg. So beloved, I say all that to simply say this, that we are indeed poor judges of what is good and what is bad. You see, from our perspective, it may look good or it may look bad, but from God's perspective, God sees the big picture. In fact, we don't need Chinese culture to give us truth here. We, we open up the word of God and God's word tells us this from Romans eight twenty eight. That for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Beloved, that means that whatever happens, whether it's good or whether it's bad in the moment or it's bad in the moment, right? It works out. God works it out for our good. That's why the great early church father, Augustine, he once wrote this. He said, the omnipotent God primal power of the world being himself supremely good could not prevent or or permit anything evil in his works were he not so all-powerful and good as to be able to bring good even out of evil that's what God does he does it every day that which looks bad to us God takes it and works it for our good and that does not happen by chance That does not happen by chance, right? It happens by providence. It happens by providence. It happens by God exercising his sovereign control over all of creation, every inch of creation. As it says in Psalm 47, verse 8, 9 in our text, God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne The princes of the peoples gather as the people of God of Abraham, for the shields of the earth belong to God. He is highly exalted. This is our God who still sits sovereignly on his throne. But not only does God have no rival, and not only does God also control every inch of creation, we also see here finally that God has sovereignly showered us with his love and praise God that he's done that right because by nature and by nurture we're unlovely in that you and I are born sinners and pile on more sin but God is gracious and he is sovereign in that grace look at verse 4 in our text 
Verse 4, Psalm 47, verse 4 says, He chose our heritage for us, the pride of Jacob, whom he loves. Indeed, guys, God fixed his love on Israel, and it wasn't because they were impressive. It wasn't because they were attractive in and of themselves. In fact, God explains Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6 through 8. He explains it this way. He says, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it's because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to his fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery. Of Egypt. In other words, beloved, God shows Israel because God is sovereign in his grace, showering love on whom he'll shower his love. He is free to love whom he loves and to be gracious to whom he is gracious. Romans 9, in fact, verse 15 and 16 gives further explanation concerning God in this way. It says this For God says to Moses, I'll have mercy on whom I have mercy. And I'll have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it does not depend on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. God is still sovereign, guys. Still showering love in the new covenant, just as he did in that old covenant. In fact, God tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 26-31, speaking to you and me in the new covenant, he says, For consider your calling, brothers, not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world. Even things that are not to bring them to nothing. Things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. I say to you this morning, guys, if you're in Christ, you're not in Christ because you were smarter or holier or more tender or born at the right place at the right time. You are in Christ by God's doing. God brought you into Jesus. He grafted you into Israel by grace through faith in Jesus. You are in Christ, now a part of Jacob, even as our text says. Verse 47.4, the pride of Jacob, whom he loves God, loves you. He has fixed his love on you, not because of who you are, but because of who he is. This is our God who still sits sovereignly on his throne saying to all, all who will believe, come to me and you will be saved. In fact, I want to say to you this morning, God very well may be calling you this morning to salvation. This very morning, God may be calling you to surrender your life to Jesus. You see, God in his sovereignty is still calling sinners to be saved. This morning, we're all sinners, right? Desperately in need of a Savior, and God sent his son Jesus to live and die for all who will believe in him. 
I want to say to you this morning, there is no hope outside of Jesus. If you're trying to find any, any other way, any other hope, you'll be sorely disappointed because Jesus is it. He is the only way. And here's the good news. Hear me closely this morning. He is ready to receive any sinner this morning who will hate their sin and turn to Jesus in faith and love. I said, you don't put him off another moment. Be saved today. Beloved, praise God that he is still sovereign. And what should our response be to our still sovereign God? Just as your takeaway today says, rejoice and give thanks, right? This truth that we're talking about this morning is not something to just be pondered on. It's not something simply to be chewed on and declared to be true. This is something to be celebrated, amen? To be celebrated. It is to be delighted in. It's to be rejoiced in. It's to, be, it's to praise God for. Indeed, that's just what God in our text calls us to do. So we're going to close with these verses. Psalm 47, verse 1. Because of what we've just heard, that God still sits sovereignly on his throne, here is what you and I are supposed to do in response. Verse 1 says, Clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. Skip down to verse 5. 5 through 7. God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our king. Sing praises for God is the king of all the earth. Sing praises with a psalm. Why? Verse 8. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. Rejoice, Eastwood, and be glad in your sovereign God who still sits on the throne. How long should you give thanks? Well, here's my final prayer this morning. May you continue to be happy in thanksgiving and give thanks as long as God continues on his throne. Hi there, this is Pastor Ben. I have something really important to ask you, but first, I want to say thank you for taking the time to make this digital connection with us through our podcast. I hope the message you just listened to was a blessing, but an even greater blessing than this digital connection would be for you to connect with us in person this coming Sunday at one of Eastwood's two campuses where we get the joy of living life together in Jesus' name. And now for that really important question, which is the most important question you'll ever answer. Where do you stand before God? Now, based on what you've done, the straightforward answer is that you stand guilty and condemned before God. You are a sinner who completely deserves God's wrath forevermore in hell. And I deserve the same thing also. I mean, every person does. Guys, that's terrible news. And even worse is the fact that there's nothing you can do in and of yourself to change that. You need a Savior. But I have good news. God loved the world so much that he sent Jesus to be your Savior. Jesus came and lived the perfect life that you cannot live, and he stood condemned on the cross, dying the death you deserve. 
And three days later, Jesus was raised from the dead to prove to everybody that he is indeed the Savior of the world. And now Jesus longs to change your standing before God by making a trade with you. He desires to take what you've earned, which is the wrath of God in hell, and to give you in return what he has earned, which is the blessing of God in heaven. When this trade happens, instead of standing guilty and condemned before God, you will stand forgiven and righteous with the promise of everlasting life. So what must you do to have your standing before God changed? First, admit to God you are a sinner. Second, hate your sins. Turn from them and ask God to forgive you. And finally, turn to Jesus in faith and love, putting your complete hope in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and follow him until the day you die. Wherever you are listening to this podcast, Jesus is ready to make this trade with you. And I pray that you would trust in Jesus and be saved. Thank you again for connecting with us. And I hope to see you soon at Eastwood Baptist Church.